And this is Encounter with God here on The Breakfast Show as we get into our 20 million movement Bible study. 20 million people right across the world studying the same passage of the Bible at the same time. And do we have a surprise for you this morning, just when you thought that Minnie was the co-host this morning? Who do we have here co-hosting? Who's Hello here? from up north. Okay, okay, so hello from down under. Angela is joining us this morning. You will remember that, of course, Angela was our co-host here for a month or so back in the past. In the past, We call her Aussie Angela because she is an Aussie, even though she doesn't always sound like an Aussie, and is currently <laughs> living in Michigan. Angela, welcome to the show. Thank you. It is so awesome to be back. Hey, what's Michigan like right now? It is hot. You know, we're in August, and whenever the school year starts, it just seems like the summer sun comes back. So it is extremely hot, um, and you're longing for air conditioning, but the air conditioning is broken our cafeteria, our high school cafeteria, so it's quite warm. So while you're <laughs> complaining about uh, no air conditioning, of course, we're complaining about uh, lack of heating. We had snow. No. That's like big news. This big news. We had snow. Australia had snow. They had snow in the Barrington Tops, which is not far from Newcastle right here. And, of course, it was all of like um, maybe maybe two inches of snow. But it was pretty yeah, exciting. It was pretty exciting for us. Let's talk in four months, and I'll tell you about the three feet. <laughs> You're going to have to translate that for me. I don't know, feet into your system, but three feet of snow. One meter. You. One oh, I should know snow. that. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Aussie Angela, you should know this. <laughs> and uh, if I took basic elementary math, then I should also know it. <laughs> indeed. Okay, so um, we're super glad that you're able to uh, join us for the second half of the show. Many, of course, had to uh, rush off to a uh, class this morning at, uh, at college, and so we, uh, we let her go early. And, yeah, we have an, an exciting Bible study to get into. Okay, so, Angela, I have a question for you as we get into our Bible study today. Are you a servant of God? Oh, I definitely try to be, but I have to admit I don't always have a beautiful heart. Okay. This is an interesting question. And I think we can all relate to what you're saying right there, that we all aspire to be the servant of God. It is always our intention to be the servant of God. Sometimes we fail in being the servant of God. But I want us to look at a passage of Scripture this morning that uh, is kind of interesting. Let's go over to John chapter 15 and verse 15. So that's John 15 verse 15. And Angela, I wonder whether you can read that verse for us there, please. All right. If you love me, keep my commandments. Oh, no, that's John fourteen fifteen. I was, I was testing you. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one, but here we go. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Okay, in light of that verse, are you still a servant of Jesus Christ? But yes, because by faith, that's what Jesus calls me. Okay. Are you also a friend of Jesus? Yeah, because that's what he calls me. <laughs> that's right. So we're both servants and friends of Jesus, and a friend is closer than a servant. And you kind of, you know, when you think about it, you've got these different levels, I guess, in you know, particularly biblical times, but even today's world where you have slave, servant, friend. And Jesus takes us right the way through 
that whole experience because we like to be fully submitted, fully surrendered to Jesus Christ. That's the the aim and the goal of every single one of us. Uh, We like to serve Jesus Christ, to be a servant of Jesus. But Jesus is like, okay, I don't want it to stop right there. I want our relationship, our connection to be much more than just a servant. Because when you are a friend, as it says here, you know each other intimately and you understand what is in each other's minds, what each other is thinking, what each other is planning and what each other's purpose is. This is the kind of relationship that God is planning or God is desiring to have with us, which is why he comes out and says, look, okay, you're servants, that's great, but I want you to be my friends and I call you my friends. Okay, so there's a bit of a uh, today's Bible study is all about an attitude adjustment, all about having an attitude of gratitude. So we have a couple of stories that we're going to look at. Uh, Matthew chapter 15 is where we're going to start. So Angela, maybe we can flick over to Matthew chapter 15 and we will start in verse 21. If you could uh, take us away there as soon as you find that particular passage. So it's Matthew 15 verse 21. All right. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. I find this an an unusual, a strange story. Yeah, it's a difficult one. It is. Because it seems like Jesus is doing anything but what his character is supposed to be doing, a character of love and thoughtfulness and kindness towards others. And yet here he is throwing this woman under the same bus, if I may say that, as everybody else in the Jewish culture does. Yes. So Jesus comes from a culture that is incredibly racist. And here he comes to a a Phoenician woman. We We would call her Lebanese today. And there's some language here that is used that none of us as followers of Jesus Christ would ever use. No. And even people who are not followers of Christ would really hesitate to call people dogs. They would be hot. Absolutely. That would be, you know, if if you heard a non-believing person, a person of no faith use language like that, you would be a bit shocked, a bit horrified, It'd be like, ouch, that's harsh. And yet Jesus does. So we've got to stop, sort of stop and ask ourselves the question, what's going on here? I mean, Jesus starts by basically just flat out ignoring this woman. I mean, that's just so rude uh, by our standards. And then, of course, you know, moves up. You're listening to The Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Okay, so we're just having a, a um, yeah. Anyway, Angela, I'm just wondering whether you could uh, just start that over again, uh, what you were sharing with us just there. 
Yeah. So um, if you notice in the story, at first Jesus ignores her. And then he says, look, I'm not sent here for you. And that is when she stops and she worships him. Why does she worship him? That's interesting. So here you've got a Phoenician woman, a Lebanese woman. She would not be somebody who is typically a follower of Yahweh. We would not expect her to be so. She would serve Phoenician gods like Baal, maybe. And if that is the case, or, you know, maybe the more modern equivalents of, you know, Baal and so forth that they were worshipping in Phoenicia at that particular time. Yeah, Angela, I, I, I need some help with this. Help, help me out here. Help me to understand this. Uh, what, what's happening here. She worships Jesus. Where does that come from? Well, I think it shows you something that we all wrestle with, and that's the fact that God doesn't just work with a tiny group of people. He's trying to reach everybody. And even though the Bible is just filled with stories of one nation, God working from the beginning of Abraham up to the time of Jesus, just through the Jewish people, sometimes we wonder, did he care about the Chinese? Did he care about, you know, the people in other places? And here is proof that God has been working in other areas because this woman sees something in him that she recognizes that, wait, this is the Son of God. If the whole world is in a position where they can recognize Jesus as the Son of God, and we've got a number of examples, we've got the we've got this particularly uh, this particular Lebanese woman. We've also got uh, the Persians who come at the time of Jesus' birth and they worship him. You've got the Roman centurion; he's from Italy, who proclaims him as the Son of God at his crucifixion. You've got Simon the African who helps him at. Uh, as he's being led to his crucifixion. We could, we could go down through the list, and there are some very, very, very significant um, non-Jewish people who worship Jesus during his ministry. So clearly his message is one that is appealing to Gentile peoples. Why do you think that Jesus only went to the Jews? Because I think that he was promised to the Jews, and he wanted to have them be the light. His whole goal was to have a select people be the light, but he wanted everybody to be the light. But he knew that if he... You know, that's a really hard question. I'm stumbling, aren't I? <laughs> no, that's a good... <laughs> I, I, I like where you're heading with it. I like where you're heading with it because, you know, Jesus only got a three-and-a-half-year ministry. That's it. And, yeah, and, you know... Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, you know, Jesus... Um, he works through everybody, but he had promised something to this people. And if they had been ready, they would have been an incredible light to the whole world. Because believe it or not, this is what always amazes me, is Jesus uses us, uses us to be his reflection. And here you have an, a nation that failed. And, you know, each one of us have failed, but yet he still allows us to be his reflection. I mean, that's not the best plan in the world. No. So why does Jesus use us and why doesn't he use, say, for instance, angels? They do a much better job. Because when we have a heart fully surrendered and we let Jesus fully reflect, it's a story that nobody can deny. Absolutely. And, you know, you look at that prime example there, and we're probably getting a little bit off track, but it's worth mentioning of the story of Cornelius. And so Cornelius, he's a Gentile. He's praying God decides he's going to answer Cornelius's prayer by sending somebody to tell Cornelius the truth. So God commissions an angel in heaven 
to come to this earth with a message for Cornelius. So the angel leaves heaven, he flies all the way down to this earth, he gets there, has a conversation with Cornelius, Cornelius sees the angel, recognizes this, that this is a divine being, and I would imagine that if I was Cornelius, I would expect all my questions to be answered at that particular point. But the angel doesn't share the gospel with Cornelius. The angel says, go and get Peter. Now, we all know Peter, right? This is, this is the guy that on one occasion, Jesus called him Satan. On another occasion, in fact, he denies Jesus three times at the time that Jesus needed him the most. And even, you know, at the, that last time, just denies him right in front of his face. Uh, that would be absolutely crushing for Jesus. And so this is Peter. And after all that, God says, yeah, go get Peter. He'll tell you the truth. And when I see that story, I see that Peter actually has something that he can share with Cornelius that the angel could never share. And that is an experience of the power of God's grace. Yes, it's those experiences which go back to our lesson lesson and the fact that it's an attitude adjustment. It's when people see something different in us that they say, wait a second, who is this God? Because I can talk to you about God all day long, but unless you yourself have experienced that God is real, it's just a conversation. And this is what's happening here with the Phoenician woman. She sees something very, very radically different in Jesus, and this is why she worships him. And this is also why she won't take no for an answer. Now, there's a very similar story to this in the Old Testament, in the experience of Jacob. Because Jacob wrestles with an angel. Jacob wrestles with, a, you know, and we, we now know that that angel is Jesus Christ himself. And, uh, and the Bible says that. But when Jacob is wrestling, he gets to the point where, you know, Jesus is like, okay, let me go. The sun, the sun is rising. The, the dawn is coming. And he's like, and he just clings on. And he's like, no, no, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And it, you've kind of got the same thing here with this woman, don't you? Yes. And I think this woman's reaction shows us something that the words are not telling us about Jesus. For the woman to keep trying and to even identify herself as a dog, you know, a, a puppy, <laughs> shows that there's something else going on in Jesus' face. There's something that's encouraging her beyond the words he's actually saying. And it's a tremendous amount of faith that's coming through there. I like the word that you used, puppy, but yeah. I don't think it's actually, I think she actually does identify herself. You know, I think even in those days, a puppy was kind of in the same category as... Yeah even though they're cute. It's true. Um, yeah. And but I think there must have been a look of compassion. She could see Jesus' true character shining through his eyes. In order for her to keep trying, there must have been something to grip to. Whether it's the stories that she heard about him, whether it's something in his eyes, but she knew it was worth persisting. It's interesting. You don't find that many people actually worshipping Jesus as God in the New Testament story, in the Gospels. And this is one of the most significant uh, ones right here. Anyway, yeah. let's, uh, let's move on to our, our second story. This one is, once again, a very famous story. Um, we go to Mark chapter 14, uh, verse 6 through 9. Mark 14, verse 6 through 9. And if you could read that one for us, please, Angela. 
But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always. And whenever you wish, you may do them good. But me, you do not have always. She has done what she could. She has gone beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Yeah, it's a great story right here. And I wonder if you could uh, give us a little background as to what is actually happening in the lead up to this statement by Jesus Christ. Well, you'll remember there was a woman caught in adultery, and she was thrown out into the middle where everybody could see what she had done to stone her, and they tried to trap Jesus, and he began to write the sins of those who were trying to stone her down until everybody had disappeared. And this woman was so incredibly changed from this encounter with Jesus that she wanted to follow him for the rest of her life, and so she wanted to do him an incredible act of love. And here she is um, anointing his feet, right? Yeah, okay. (laughs) So she's anointing his feet. Yes. The Bible actually calls her a, uses the word, well, it's translated in English as a great sinner, which is kind of a polite way of describing or translating what it originally said because the original word is a great public sinner. So this was a great sinner who had sinned in public, and the term that that you know the, the the Greek term to describe a great public sinner that you find in the Bible is a term that is normally applied to somebody who is a prostitute, which kind of makes sense because if you're going to trap Jesus, you know, with what should happen to this person, then that's kind of the easiest way to catch somebody in the act of committing adultery. Now, of course, adultery, you can't do it by yourself. And I do wonder what happened to the guy in this case. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. All right, so we have these fascinating stories here. We're talking about the second woman that we're talking about now is a woman that the Bible describes as a great sinner. It uses uh, language that is typically applied to somebody who is a prostitute. And when you look at the circumstances around this story, then that's what your expectation would be, that this person was, um, yeah, that was their background. Now, if we then go back to the culture of the day and we look at society in the culture of the the day, society pretty much at its highest level started with a high priest and worked its way down from there. So the high priest was at the top. He was seen as being the most righteous, the one that was closest to God, etc. And then you work down your way down through the priests, and then you have the lawyers, and then you kind of have anyone who is wealthy. They were seen as being blessed of God. Why, why, how else would they have wealth unless they were blessed of God? Uh, Then you work your way down to the peasants. And then you work your way down to, and this is the culture of the day. This is not biblical culture. It's not what the Bible teaches. It was not the culture that Israel was supposed to have. It was the Hellenic culture that had, uh, I guess, taken over the whole world at that particular time, was that once you got down to peasants, your next level down would be to a woman. And then if you wanted to go down from there, you would go to a woman of ill repute, and kind of equal with a woman of ill repute, as in a prostitute, would be a woman who was a Gentile. Both of these stories, we have Jesus 
addressing what society was saying was the lowest of the low. Now, by God's grace, I don't think we have that in our society today, and we certainly don't have it within Christianity today, because I certainly hope we have learned the lessons that Jesus is trying to teach right here. But Jesus is Jesus, what Jesus is doing here is radically different, and he is setting the example that, you know, in many ways it's because of what Jesus did then that we don't have those attitudes in Christianity today. Yes. You know, when Jesus came to earth, what he was trying to desperately do is break those biases. Because if you notice in all the things that he does, he's trying to show it's okay to touch lepers. It's okay to reach out to the untouchables. It's okay to talk to the people of the lowest of the lows. It's okay to talk to people who are not Jews. He's trying to break down these barriers that the Jews have built up um, after centuries. And and both of these, these stories with these women, he's trying to demonstrate in the language that is harsh to us at times, but showing the times, like this is the way you're treating people. Is this really okay now that you hear me do it? after I've confessed that I'm the Son of God. Yes, indeed. And so if we look at the story of Mary as she is anointing Jesus' feet right here, it's a bit of a scandal that sort of happens because it's a public place, they're having a big get-together, everybody's there. She was kind of hoping to be able to do something you know, a little bit more surreptitiously, but you can't really spread perfume around surreptitiously, can you? No, it kind of permeates the room real quick, like. <laughs> okay, so here what you've got is a woman who has a history of prostitution. So she made her living by being seductive and seducing men. And she's touching Jesus and she's anointing him with perfume and that results in the people, the rest of the people who are in that room, in that get-together, in that party, whatever you want to call it, um, there's suddenly a lot of judgment going on in their minds, isn't there? Yes. How, I mean, how could there not be when, unfortunately, that could signal all sorts of things in their mind right away? And then you've got, uh, then of course you've got Simon who's like, oh, you know, um, if he knew what this woman was like and knew her background, he wouldn't allow her to touch him. And Jesus is like, you know, he kind of quietly reminds Simon that Simon's been forgiven of some pretty great sins as well and Simon's been healed of leprosy. Uh, but, you know, and Simon's thankful for that, but Simon is not the one who is, you know, sharing the incredibly expensive gift right now. Yeah, and you know, in both of these stories, the women are highly acknowledged at the end of the story. Yes. With with the story of the woman who was um, the Phoenician, she's called a woman, which is the equivalent of like what he called his mother. It's very highly honored. And then in the story in Mark with the, the prostitute woman, he's saying this story is going to be preached every time the gospel is preached. And the Phoenician woman is described as a woman of great faith. Yes. And what is interesting is, you know, you've got, you've got the Gospels, the four Gospels, and the Bible says that if everything that Jesus had done was to be written down, you wouldn't be able to fit it in all of the books that are in the world. What is interesting is that these stories are singled out for us 
to be having this discussion on Faith FM Radio 2,000 years later. Mm. We have them as an example of the attitude that Jesus had and the way that he looked at people. We talk about it 2,000 years later. We learn from it 2,000 years later. We make our own attitude adjustment based on it 2,000 years later. It impacts our world 2,000 years later. And so, you know, you start to put this whole picture together and here you've got these women being held up as examples to us in our time or for all time of the attitude adjustment that, you know, Jesus wants to make. And it's as a result of Jesus recognizing that these are people who were forgiven, have come under his grace and that have acknowledged him, that have worshipped him. And regardless of their background, you know, and regardless of where they come from, he has he is demonstrating to us a massive attitude change in all things. Anyway, this is the attitude that we need to have as Christians. We need to look at the potential that is in everybody rather than looking at where they might be at this particular point in time or what their past history is. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.